0: If you have a connection to languages, this is the podcast for you, whether you're a language learner, a language teacher, a language researcher or anyone who's interested in languages. I'm Dr Marie-Josée Bisson and alongside my colleague, Dr Caitlin Zavalletta, we are the language scientists and this is our podcast. We are senior lecturers in psychology at De Montfort University and we conduct research in the area of language learning. Throughout this series, we hope to translate the science behind language learning into informative and useful practical advice. So sit back and enjoy. Today, we are joined by Professor Emma Marsden from the University of York, who will tell us about what is being done currently to the language learning curriculum in England. So welcome, Emma. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Now, Emma is a professor in Second Language Education at the University of York, She did her undergraduate degree in French and Hispanic studies at the University of Nottingham. She then completed a postgraduate certificate in education at the University of Manchester and she became a modern foreign language teacher. Uh, And so she taught uh, languages in secondary school for three years and she then returned to studying and completed a master's and PhD in applied linguistics at the University of Southampton. She also did a postdoc on implicit grammar learning and she finally took up her position as a lecturer at the University of York, where she still uh, works now as a professor. Emma is involved in many initiatives to try and address the problem of the decline in language uptake in schools in England. And so I'm really excited to have Emma here today to talk to us about this. But before we jump into that topic, we always ask our contributors to tell us a little bit about their language background. So Emma, what languages do you speak? Although your little intro here about what you studied might give some clue, <laughs>
1: but uh, what languages do you speak and how did you learn them? Okay. So I grew up as a monolingual English speaker basically until I was about till I was 11, till I went to secondary school where I learned French as a foreign language in classrooms. My very first introduction to a language was when I used to get a lift from a family friend and he always used to shout um, Au revoir, à demain. And I used to have to reply, à demain. And I think that was the beginning <laughs> of my, oh, this is interesting, quirky little thing. Um, so then at secondary school, I learnt French. When I was at the sixth form, I picked up Spanish as a GCSE, then went to university to do joint honours. Um, so those are my two main languages. Then, when with English, then when I was a teacher of French and Spanish, I decided I needed a bit of German, so I picked up German GCSE, and then when as I, you do, you know, picking up a third yeah. a foreign language. <laughs> yeah, and working at um, the National Centre has helped me, you know, rejuvenate a little bit of that German. But um, yeah, not not, not so hot on German. And then also, when I was doing my MA, I wanted to experience learning a very different language, and I picked up. A, I I studied. Japanese, but was at the back of the class and kind of, um, yeah, just, just experiencing it, really, writing a little learner diary of, of my experiences. So that, that's my language background, really.
0: Very interesting. And during your degree, did you do any like study abroad type of
1: or exchanges yes. when you lived in the country? Yes, I went to Barcelona uh, to learn Castilian, interestingly. And uh, so obviously when I got there, I was surrounded by Catalan. And I did, I'm a pass- I understand quite a lot of Catalan, but I was there to learn Castilian. And then I also spent a year in Chile, um, again, speaking Spanish. And that was in between my MA and my PhD. I went to Chile and was an English teacher, but learnt- was speaking a lot of Spanish there. So yeah, goodness knows what my accent's like now. <laughs>
0: well, the important thing is to be able to communicate. Yes. So as long as that comes across, that's fine, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The accent is, is irrelevant. Uh, no, it's part of your personality. Absolutely. Part of something, A topic of conversation. Why is it important to you that
1: um, we learn languages? I think the first reason is to just put ourselves outside ourselves and to realise that there are other ways of thinking about similar things other ways of expressing ideas. And I think my second would then be, it opens the door to seeing new cultures. And I'm sure that's the answer that a lot of people give you. It, opens the, the, yeah, it broadens your horizons and um, it allowed me to study lots of great literature. And so some wonderful ideas that have stayed with me throughout my life. And I don't think I would have got those through English translations. Um it's allowed me to meet some fantastic people and have some really wonderful experiences that I wouldn't have had as a monolingual anglophone, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I have learned a lot about my own language and other languages. It's helped me learn other languages. But this interest in your own language, I think, and a, and a, a much greater awareness of how English works is something that I've found really important for all sorts of things, writing, um, helping others to write, um, learning other languages, that's probably enough oh, rationale. That's quite a few,
0: few reasons, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank
0: you for that. Okay, so we, let's jump into the topic of today and um, do you want to tell us a little bit about
1: what is happening to language learning in England? Okay, well, for the past few years there has been uh, declines in the numbers of students choosing to study languages at all levels, at GCSEs, A levels and degree level. And at the same time, we're being told that languages are very important for some of the reasons I've just been explaining, Mm -hmm. um, personally, socially, intellectually, academically, but also one of the key rationales that the government often talks about is business and that the, the country needs people who are linguists to be bridges to other um, communities to engage in business and global affairs um, so this is a, a serious problem for us and um, the country and um, there are many ways of addressing this um, all of them require time and money but um, my attention over the last couple of years has been focused on one Um, approach to trying to encourage more 16-year-olds to choose to study a language GCSE and that focus has been on French, German and Spanish GCSE only at the moment, though of course there are many other languages that are spoken in the UK Um, and I would mention at this point as well, I, I think that one of our challenges is that we probably don't well I know we don't nurture our bilinguals and trilinguals enough um, mm-hmm. and that we have um, you know 20 percent of the population about who arrive at primary school with English as a, an additional language and so therefore they have another mm-hmm. language which um, is really to be nurtured and and valued and acknowledged and accredited and I think we we need to do a, a better job of, of that in the country but today my focus is going to be on French German Spanish because those are the languages I'm familiar with. And we are in a situation in England where, because of historical reasons, those are the languages that we focus on in schools. That's not to say, of course, that we shouldn't diversify and and study lots of other languages, but the current state of affairs is that most teachers are, and most GCSEs are taken in French, German, Spanish. And so, yeah, I've been focusing on changes to the GCSE recently.
0: Yeah, so something's being done to the curriculum. Yes. What people actually learning in class?
1: Right so in 2016 there was a a review of foreign language pedagogy in England and this pointed to some recommendations for uh, policy and practice and then in 2019 2020 a panel was set up to review the content of the GCSE, the subject content. Mm-hmm. And so the DfE is responsible for setting the subject content in every discipline, every area. And this panel was set up to take a look at the subject content and think, is this the best we can do to make it accessible to more students? And are there things that we could alter in the assessment that would have a positive washback? into classrooms, uh, into teachers' lives, students' lives, that might make foreign language learning a more positive experience with the view to, with the aspiration to, encouraging more people to study the language. Um, So what we... um, The panel was made up of some teachers and some policy makers, a former Ofsted inspector, an academic um, who is a linguist, and myself as an applied linguist, and it was chaired by Ian Borkham. So in that review, we looked at the the subject content lays out the skills and knowledges that students aged 16 should be able to have um, when they take their GCSEs. And uh, to date, the subject content has not clearly specified the lexical content, so the words mm-hmm. that we expect students to know. And it, It has given some indication of the grammar content, but it was rather large. There was a lot of grammar content to cover and it was in some cases um, a bit vague. So one of the things that the panel looked at was could we, can we constrain or define the lexicon in a way that's going to make the goalposts clearer for teachers and for learners. So these are the words that we want students to know yeah. in order to take the GCSE. Right. We want them to
0: know those words to well, to be able to communicate in those languages, but the the, the words that will be on the exam, so to, That's say, right. so to speak. Yeah, That's
1: right. The words that can be on the exam, the words that, okay. um, that an exam, an awarding organisation would be allowed to put in their test and test a, learners, a learner on their knowledge of those words. So it seems like a very straightforward kind of thing to do. Um, What Mm -hmm. words do we expect someone to be able to know um, after about 400 to 450 hours? So um, that's something really important to bear in mind that just from year seven, age 11, up until about age 16, when they take their GCSEs, most children in most schools have about 400 to 450 hours of exposure to the language in classrooms, in the the classroom setting. So to put that in context, I understand that I'm sure this estimation varies from reference to reference, but about 17,000 hours of exposure have been experienced by the age of four in your mother tongue. In your in the mm. in the um, language of the home so, so it's, a it's, a it's a tiny amount it's a tiny amount so yeah. it's really important to manage expectations of students yeah. and teachers and 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 stakeholders uh, a level uh, writers and d- degree and people at universities you know what knowledge can we really expect people to have age 16 and um, so one of the tasks was just to, to think well how much how, ma- how many words might you know at that age after that much exposure and there was surprisingly little research out there about about that um one rather pragmatic approach is just to think well how many hours have they got how many words could you learn in an hour and there's your number there's your total and so there have been estimations that children in our um, in our education system can learn between three to five words an hour And retain those after so many years. Well, that's the key, isn't it? You know, (laughs) it's not just learning them,
0: because I can teach people 20, 40 words in 20 minutes in some of my experiments, but I don't <laughs> expect them to remember them, well, you know, weeks later, so that's that's the, right, impo- yeah. that's the key thing. That's a yeah. really
1: important thing.
0: Because they'll have to relearn them and these words will have to come back. And, yeah. Right,
1: right. And there is some research that tells us about how often you need to see a word incidentally to be able to pick it up and, and know it and know it in different circumstances and different ways to, mm-hmm. be able to read it and hear it and say it and write it. Yeah. Uh, and I know you're interested in in that, you know, incidental learning. But what what was of particular interest here? What can be intentionally taught in the classroom and learnt, and then mm-hmm. remembered five years later, or, you know, when by the time yeah. they're sixty? So these, uh, there's two or three research studies out there that suggest that three to five words can be learnt per hour times that by the number of weeks and um, hours lessons, and you get to approximately 1,700. So that's the new magical and that's number. that's the new magical number. It does, um, it's uh, various different pieces of evidence pointed to this a similar number. Another piece yes. of evidence that we used was, well, how many words does it take to create exam papers? how many yeah. ha- the awarding organizations they have little paragraphs of text? and right yeah. right and the comprehension questions in listening and reading mm-hmm. and of course we didn't want to leave the awarding organizations with not enough words to be able to test children in a fair way you can't use exactly the same words year on year on year you have to vary them a little bit um so we examined how many word families are used and by a word family i mean going went, go, is all one family, or walk, walked, Mm -hmm. walking, walks, they're all walkable, all one family. So how many word families do you need to create three or four years of exams? And depending on the language and depending on the awarding awarding organisation, it fell somewhere between one to create three years of exams, 1,500, 1,700. To create four years of exams, you need 1,600, 1,800 word families. So that seemed reasonable because um, the regulatory body, Ofqual, requires awarding organisations to sample their content each year and kind of get through the content. I think it's between three every three to five years. So the word sampling test seemed reasonable. And then there was the information, the other bit of evidence we had was, well, how many words do year 11s know after 400 and 450? 400 to 450 hours. And there's only, as I said, two to three studies out there currently. And they suggested somewhere between, on average, the average pupil knows between 550 and 850 words after 400 to 450 hours. And we've done another test and we think it may be a little higher than that. We think it may be more like 1,000, 1,100. And the upper limit of the previous studies was, you know, the very best student that they tested knew 1,800 words. So again, this evidence suggested, okay, this seems about right. um, Yeah, um, so that that number of
0: words seemed to make sense from the three different angles that you you mentioned there. That's right, yeah. Um, So that means that now that we know uh the number of words that needs to be learned there's going to be more of an alignment between what's being taught in the classroom and what's actually on the exam paper
1: that's bang on and that is really important that was one of the aims of the gcse changes because what we found was that there was a real lack of alignment between the exam papers and what was on the current word listed in textbooks so the current Uh, stipulation was that awarding organisations had to test words off their word lists that were not on their word lists and also their word lists were not obligatory so they provided them because that helps teachers and it helps publishers to create textbooks but they didn't have to stick to what was on those word lists when they're creating the exams so when you analyse the exam papers against the word lists that they produced um over uh, four sets of exam papers, actually, we found that only half of the words had ever been used. So this meant okay. that if you think about one child's experience and one teacher's experience, it means that they're potentially getting exposed to double the amount of words that they would ever need. So if they took any of those papers, they happened to be taking the paper in 2019 or 20, um, then they would have experienced double the amount of words that they really needed for the exam paper. Now, I have to emphasize, of course, it's not all about passing exams. Everyone wants students to develop their own personal vocabulary that is meaningful to them. But it is also important to have some alignment between the subject content, what's going to be tested, and what students and teachers are aiming to learn in the classroom. So we Yeah, think- I agree,
0: that's really important because that's going to put off people choosing to do a GCSE if they're feeling too uncertain about, you know, what do I need to know for the exam kind of thing, what content do I need to know? Because that was really difficult to say for certain. Right, right. So,
1: um, one of the, um, another finding that we um, uncovered when we were analyzing the exam papers was that only about 10% of the words on the awarding organizations lists on average can appear in every exam. So only 10% of the words you could be absolutely sure would turn up, leaving 90% of the words, well, they may or they may not turn up. Mm -hmm. And so that could have been one reason uh, for negatively influencing the achievement motivation cycle, that if you feel that you're working really hard and you're learning these words, but then they're just not turning up on the papers, and that could be one source of demotivation. So, but were there extra words then on the papers that were not even on the word list as well? Yes, yes. So, as I mentioned, they did have to do that. The awarding organisations had to put words on that were not on their word lists. And because that was one of the stipulations of the uh, subject content. But also, we feel that that had gone perhaps too far. So, the other um, really important point to emphasise is that lexical inferencing is a very important of language part of language learning and the language experience and that means you're going to meet words that you don't know and you need to be resilient and try to work them out mm-hmm. and, and not let but this is the same thing in our native language and we encounter exactly. new words
0: all the time exactly. as
1: we read and we
0: just we don't even stop on them we carry on reading because through the context through the other words that we know we can figure out what that that word meant and we just learn it that way yes That's incidental learning. Incidental learning,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, or you may not learn it. It's just one that you pass, you think, I'll never see it again. Thank you very much. I've picked up enough meaning from that word and I'll leave it there. So, by constraining the lexicon as we have, this is not simultaneously also meaning that we suddenly think inferencing is a bad thing. We think inferencing is a very important thing. And in the teaching resources that we were creating, we are still. when I was working at the National Center for Excellence for Language Pedagogy, we were creating lots of resources that help learners to inference. And um, as I mentioned, the average student knows about 500 to 800 words. They're never going to know, not not many students will know all the 1700 words. There will be plenty of words that they're not that familiar Mm -hmm. with, and so they will still have to inference, both in the exam and when they're learning, learning the language in class. There's still plenty yeah. of, of meat on the bone.
0: So is this something you feel teachers can teach their students, how to derive the meaning from the surrounding words, how to be word detectives?
1: Yes, I think it's an important part of, of teaching and, and learning. It's part of the um, of strategies, really, that students need to be exposed to words that they're not that familiar with. However, there's loads of research evidence showing how fragile that skill is, particularly in the early stages. So when you don't know, if you if you imagine a sentence with 11 words in, and you don't know eight of them very well, or they're mm. sort of fragile, you're not going to be able to inference the meaning of, of no. words because it just isn't enough, the, the foundations are not there. So by defining the lexicon and saying, these are the really useful words that you're going to know, then you can kind of bootstrap. And at that stage, then you're launched and you can inference more successfully. So there's mm-hmm. evidence saying people's inferencing skill depends on their proficiency, their age, because as you get older, you get better at being able to make good guesses. And your, your, your world knowledge improves, and so your inferencing skills can improve. Um, you get better at analyzing language as you get older. And, and some people are better at than others. Uh, at analysing language and working inferring meaning so it was important to give to be fairer to all students it feels sensible to give them to define the goalposts and say these are the words that you need to know if you know these words then inferencing will become easier for you later
0: so do you think this will have a positive impact on um, people choosing to do a language do you think this, we, we're going to see an improvement in there <laughs> this is the hope yeah I'm exactly assuming, but, this, is, you know. this is
1: the hope i think if it is operationalized well then
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes it has the potential to do that i think if the messaging around it is positive then it will help i've heard some negative messaging around oh you know just learning wordless is not a good thing uh or implying messaging implying that having a list of words is a negative thing Mm. whereas it could be positively messaged that well having this list of words is going to really help teachers to know the words that are going to be on the exam paper and to be able to give i think yeah absolutely i mean
0: as a as a previous teacher of french myself you know we we get carried away sometimes and we you know, I remember doing this game with clothing, so vocabulary for clothes and I think there was at least thirty different clothing right. names that I was teaching them just because this is a topic that the you know, obviously they were enjoying and when we were doing this um this fashion show with clothes. Anyways, but the the point is they don't need to know thirty different names for clothes to be able to communicate in French. They're not that important. You know, if you know the basics, you might need to know five or six pieces of clothing, but not definitely not that high number. And this is what that word list is going to do. It's going to reduce the number of items and some of those topics that perhaps as teachers we get carried away with but we might um, you know add some other words that are really important because we know they're on the list but you know it's it might not be a topic that we we necessarily used to cover Um, so but I mean that's that means there's going to be lots of changes as well to textbooks I'm assuming they're going to have to be
1: redesigned no that is part of washback yes I mean we are a a society that puts a lot of emphasis on our high-stakes exams. And so they have a lot of washback into curriculum design, into textbooks, into teacher training. Um, Mm And so this will, uh, it should be seen in textbook design. And my colleague um, Natalie Finlayson and I, in collaboration with Lawrence Anthony at the University of Waseda in Japan, have developed a tool called the Multilink Profiler. And that is being used by awarding organisations and publishers to be able to tell them what is in the text that they're writing so that they're more aware of the lexicon that is being used and they can check it against word lists that are built into the profiler so it means that you can put in a text um, that you might use in listening or reading and then check it against a word list and find out whether there are too many words that are not on the list or not enough Mm -hmm. words that are not on the list you're at least aware of the content and you can adapt it accordingly. So, yeah, I hope, I hope um, listeners uh, may have a dig around on the multi-link profiler. And uh, it's for, we think it's the only tool that profiles French, German and Spanish texts. And uh, we've also embedded some lists that are very nuanced according to the curriculum. So, for example, imagine a teacher wants to teach year eight Spanish, term three, week seven, and they want to know, well, is this text appropriate for this learner at this stage? And so we've created some word lists that are are nuanced at each uh, week of the curriculum so they can you know which words have been introduced and what the word families are like at each stage so at the point where past tense is introduced the word family suddenly increases because now every verb carries all the past tenses with it so these resources are already available
0: yes for teachers so where are they?
1: Can you tell us so people can have a look? <laughs> the multilinkprofiler.net is the place to go for the multi profiler. And the resources are held at a site called LD Pedagogy um, for language-driven pedagogy. And then, so the, the, those word lists that we discussed are already uh, available there? The word lists are on that site, yes. Um,
0: Schemes of work, like you mentioned, for each per week, you know, what vocabulary makes sense to introduce here based on what they already learned that's right. in previous weeks and in previous years. That's so that's right. going to be really useful for teachers. Yeah. 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 And I know that you've been involved with other initiatives, which we haven't had time to cover yet, but do you want to just give us a, a very brief summary of the uh, national centers? Uh, there were those hubs to help schools, um, language schools, and also OASIS summaries. You've got two more things to mention. I've been involved
1: um, with two initiatives. One, um, the National Centre for Excellence for Language Pedagogy, funded by the DFE. That was from 2018 to 2023. That was co directed by Dr. Rachel Hawkes. Um, and we developed, um, with wonderful teams of resource developers, um, about 1,500 resources for uh, French, German, Spanish with schemes of work. And the another un, uh, part of that uh, national centre was to work with teachers in 45 schools in the network and beyond in the final year. Um, we provided professional development that was research informed on various different aspects of curriculum design and pedagogy, um, including how to work with uh, rich culturally interesting texts whilst also um, ensuring that you revisit the appropriate vocabulary and grammar which was quite an art form and so hats off to the resource developers for doing that having to weave together this tightly constrained vocabulary and grammar but also create create texts about the people the culture the um, the society and geography of these countries. So, that those are, I hope people dig into those resources. So, whilst we were doing the professional development, we used as one source of uh, information um, open accessible summaries of research. And these are one page, non technical summaries of research that's normally kept behind paywalls. Um, they're held on a site called OASIS, oasisdatabase.org. And they are provided by authors of research through the journals um to which these authors submit um so- I've submitted to Oasis Yay. myself
0: <laughs> and you can submit directly to oasis once you've if you've published a paper in the past that before Oasis was born um you can still submit directly to Oasis, but yeah, it's very easy. Thank um, you just yeah. need to write a write a one page summary yeah. and then hopefully someone will read it and it, they might think, oh I might try that in yeah in my classroom yeah. just to see if what happens and yeah
1: we've done some um, yeah. research with the teachers and over ninety percent of them said that the summaries were useful and that they gave them ideas and that they would um, and they have it's changed I think about sixty seventy percent said reading a summary changed something about the way they were thinking or um and that that's all all you can really hope for, that's you know, it's just to yeah. to broaden the toolkit and um give yeah. access to research that was just behind Yeah. And those. it's nice that it's just one
0: page and it's very to the point. Right. Because let's face this teachers <laughs> teachers don't have time to read research papers that are twenty, thirty pages long. And there's no point when you could just read it in one page. Uh, yes, so yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. I yeah. hope people check those out as oh, well. Sure. So I will um, include some show notes uh, with the links to all these websites that we've mentioned today: um, the National Centre, the Oasis, the LD Pedagogy website, and any other things that Emma think uh, I uh, I could put up there for for people to have a look at that Thanks. would be really useful, full of resources um, for teachers.
1: Thank you, and and researchers, I hope as well. The multilingual profiler would and maybe be helpful for researchers who want to analyze texts and we've been using it to for research recently so
0: now emma before we finish today's episodes is there something you would like to mention
1: so something you'd like people to remember in particular from today's episode um one thing is that um when you mentioned the lists of the long list of clothes that you used to teach and um um, I have a 16-year-old daughter who similarly comes home with long word lists for food items that I've never had to say in French or Spanish. And in fact, we'd never really say them. And she came home and said, um, I've got to learn the word for hake. What's hake? Like uh, billiards. What's billiards? So <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. But um, So when we've been choosing the words, we've been influenced by large corpora that tell us about the frequency of words in the language. So I just wanted to uh, mention that at the end, that one way of deciding which words to teach is to look at what people really use a lot in the language. And mm. we've checked that these word, new word lists perform well against all sorts of different corpora. So big general corpora where speech and writing and different registers, different genre are all put in and like to create millions and millions of words. And then we've also checked, again, smaller corpora, say, of adolescent literature, of A-level papers, of Internet, language just scraped from the Internet. And each time, the word list that's informed by frequency, hands down, each time provides better preparation, better coverage for those texts. So we think that these word lists should give people a sense of achievement, that they can access more texts. Um, than they could with a more topic-driven vocabulary list.
0: Absolutely, so it makes a lot of sense to teach the students the words that are more frequent right, in that language right. and
1: then they'll be able um, to describe yeah. these items of clothes rather than know the exact word they'll be able to use circumlocution and get round it and use these high frequency words to describe something that's perhaps absolutely
0: or in their own time they can learn some more uh, vocabulary clothes if they're interested in clothes and absolutely yeah. but it doesn't have to be on the list of words that they have to learn for quite, quite. Yeah. right well emma it's been really interesting to chat to you about all this today so thank you very much for joining us Um, This was now the last episode in series two of the Language Scientist podcast so I hope uh, that you've enjoyed it everyone listening but there will be of course more series to come so stay tuned. To find out more uh, behind the scene information about this topic or about our podcast please visit our webpage languagescientists.dmu.ac.uk this is where you can go to ask questions leave comments or even participate in our current research we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to the Montfort University for funding this series of the podcast. I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson and you've been listening to the Language Scientist podcast.